Section 33 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 33, Chapter 43, Part 1 Elizabeth After a state of great anxiety and many difficulties, Elizabeth had at length reached a situation where, though her affairs still required attention and found employment for her active spirit, she was removed from all danger of any immediate revolution and might regard the efforts of her enemies with some degree of confidence and security. Her successful and prudent administration had gained her, together with the admiration of foreigners, the affections of her own subjects, and after the death of the Queen of Scots, even the Catholics, however discontented, pretended not to dispute her title, or adhere to any other person as her competitor. James, curbed by his factious nobility and ecclesiastics, possessed at home very little authority, and was solicitous to remain on good terms with Elizabeth and the English nation, in hopes that time, aided by his patient tranquillity, would secure him that rich succession to which his birth entitled him. The Hollanders, though overmatched in their contest with Spain, still made an obstinate resistance, and such was their unconquerable antipathy to their old masters, and such the prudent conduct of young Morris, their governor, that the subduing of that small territory, if at all possible, must be the work of years and the result of many and great successes. Philip, who in his powerful effort against England had been transported by resentment and ambition beyond his usual cautious maxims, was now disabled and still more discouraged from adventuring again on such hazardous enterprises. The situation also of affairs in France began chiefly to employ his attention, but notwithstanding all his artifice and force, and expense, the events in that kingdom proved every day more contrary to his expectations, and more favourable to the friends and confederates of England. The violence of the League having constrained Henry to declare war against the Huguenots, these religionists seemed exposed to the utmost danger, and Elizabeth, sensible of the intimate connection between her own interests and those of that party, had supported the King of Navarre by her negotiations in Germany, and by large sums of money which she remitted for levying forces in that country. This great prince, not discouraged by the superiority of his enemies, took the field, and in the year 1587 gained at Coutras a complete victory over the army of the French king. But as his allies, the Germans, were at the same time discomfited by the army of the League, under the Duke of Guise, 
his situation notwithstanding his victory seemed still as desperate as ever the chief advantage which he reaped by this diversity of success arose from the dissensions which by that means took place among his enemies the inhabitants of paris intoxicated with admiration of guise and strongly prejudiced against their king whose intentions had become suspicious to them took to arms and obliged henry to fly for his safety that prince dissembling his resentment entered into a negotiation with the league and having conferred many high offices on guise and his partisans summoned an assembly of the states at blois on pretence of finding expedients to support the intended war against the huguenots the various scenes of perfidy and cruelty which had been exhibited in france had justly begotten a mutual diffidence among all parties yet guise trusting more to the timidity than honour of the king rashly put himself into the hands of that monarch and expected by the ascendant of his own genius to make him submit to all his exorbitant pretensions henry though of an easy disposition not steady to his resolutions or even to his promises wanted neither courage nor capacity and finding all his subtleties eluded by the vigour of guise and even his throne exposed to the most imminent danger he embraced more violent counsels than were natural to him and ordered that prince and his brother the cardinal of guise to be assassinated in his palace this cruel execution which the necessity of it alone could excuse had nearly proved fatal to the author and seemed at first to plunge him into greater dangers than those which he sought to avoid by taking vengeance on his enemy the partisans of the league were inflamed with the utmost rage against him the populace everywhere particularly at paris renounced allegiance to him the ecclesiastics and the preachers filled all places with execrations against his name and the most powerful cities and most opulent provinces appeared to combine in a resolution either of renouncing monarchy or of changing their monarch henry finding slender resource among his catholic subjects was constrained to enter into a confederacy with the huguenots and the king of navarre he enlisted large bodies of swiss infantry and german cavalry and being still supported by his chief nobility he assembled by all these means an army of nearly forty thousand men and advanced to the gates of paris ready to crush the league and subdue all his enemies the desperate resolution of one man diverted the course of these great events jacques clement a dominican friar inflamed by that bloody spirit of bigotry which distinguishes this century and a great part of the following beyond all ages of the world embraced the resolution of sacrificing his own life in order to save the church from the persecutions of an heretical tyrant and having admitted under some pretext to the king's presence 
he gave that prince a mortal wound and was immediately put to death by the courtiers who hastily revenged the murder of their sovereign this memorable incident happened on the first of august fifteen eighty nine the king of navarre next heir to the crown assumed the government by the title of henry the fourth but succeeded to much greater difficulties than those which surrounded his predecessor the prejudices against his religion made a great part of the nobility immediately desert him and it was only by his promise of hearkening to conferences and instruction that he could engage any of the catholics to adhere to his undoubted title the league governed by the duke of mayenne brother to guise gathered new force and the king of spain entertained views either of dismembering the french monarchy or of annexing the whole to his own dominions in these distressful circumstances henry addressed himself to elizabeth and found her well disposed to contribute to his assistance and to oppose the progress of the catholic league and of philip her inveterate and dangerous enemies to prevent the desertion of his swiss and german auxiliaries she made him a present of twenty-two thousand pounds a greater sum than as he declared he had ever seen before and she sent him a reinforcement of four thousand men under lord willoughby an officer of reputation who joined the french at dieppe strengthened by these supplies henry marched directly to paris and having taken the suburbs sword in hand he abandoned them to be pillaged by his soldiers he employed this body of english in many other enterprises and still found reason to praise their courage and fidelity the time of their service being elapsed he dismissed them with many high commendations sir william drury sir thomas baskerville and sir john burroughs acquired reputation this campaign and revived in france the ancient fame of english valour the army which henry next campaign led into the field was much inferior to that of the league but as it was composed of the chief nobility of france he feared not to encounter his enemies in a pitched battle at ivray and he gained a complete victory over them this success enabled him to blockade paris and he reduced that capital to the last extremity of famine when the duke of parma in consequence of orders from philip marched to the relief of the league and obliged henry to raise the blockade having performed this important service he retreated to the low countries and by his consummate skill in the art of war performed these long marches in the face of the enemy without affording the french monarch that opportunity which he sought of giving him battle or so much as once putting his army in disorder the only loss which he sustained was in the low countries where prince maurice took advantage of his absence and recovered some places which the duke of parma had formerly conquered from the states 
the situation of henry's affairs though promising was not so well advanced or established as to make the queen discontinue her succors and she was still more confirmed in the resolution of supporting him by some advantages gained by the king of spain the duke of mercour governor of brittany a prince of the house of lorraine had declared for the league and finding himself hard pressed by henry's forces he had been obliged in order to secure himself to introduce some spanish troops into the seaport towns of that province elizabeth was alarmed at the danger and foresaw that the spaniards besides infesting the english commerce by privateers might employ these harbours as the seat of their naval preparations and might more easily from that vicinity than from spain or portugal project an invasion of england she concluded therefore a new treaty with henry in which she engaged to send over three thousand men to be employed in the reduction of brittany and she stipulated that her charges should in a twelvemonth or as soon as the enemy was expelled be refunded her these forces were commanded by sir john norris and under him by his brother henry and by antony shirley sir roger williams was at the head of a small body which garrisoned dieppe and a squadron of ships under the command of sir henry palmer lay upon the coast of france and intercepted all the vessels belonging to the spaniards or the leaguers the operations of war can very little be regulated beforehand by any treaty or agreement and henry who found it necessary to lay aside the projected enterprise against brittany persuaded the english commanders to join his army and to take a share in the hostilities which he carried into picardy notwithstanding the disgust which elizabeth received from this disappointment he laid before her a plan for expelling the leaguers from normandy and persuaded her to send over a new body of four thousand men to assist him in that enterprise the earl of essex was appointed general of these forces a young nobleman who by many exterior accomplishments and still more real merit was daily advancing in favour with elizabeth and seemed to occupy that place in her affections which leicester now deceased had so long enjoyed essex impatient for military fame was extremely uneasy to lie some time at dieppe unemployed and had not the orders which he received from his mistress been so positive he would gladly have accepted of henry's invitation and have marched to join the french army now in champagne this plan of operations was also proposed to elizabeth by the french ambassador but she rejected it with great displeasure and she threatened immediately to recall her troops if henry should persevere any longer in his present practice of breaking all concert with her and attending to nothing but his own interests urged by these motives the french king at last led his army into normandy and laid siege to rouen 
which he reduced to great difficulties but the league unable of themselves to take the field against him had again recourse to the duke of parma who received orders to march to their relief he executed this enterprise with his usual abilities and success and for the present frustrated all the projects of henry and elizabeth this princess who kept still in view the interests of her own kingdom in all her foreign transactions was impatient under these disappointments blamed henry for his negligence in the execution of treaties and complained that the english forces were thrust foremost in every hazardous enterprise it is probable however that their own ardent courage and their desire of distinguishing themselves in so celebrated a theatre of war were the causes why they so often enjoyed this perilous honour notwithstanding the indifferent success of former enterprises the queen was sensible how necessary it was to support henry against the league and the spaniards and she formed a new treaty with him in which they agreed never to make peace with philip but by common consent she promised to send him a new supply of four thousand men and he stipulated to repay her charges in a twelvemonth to employ these forces joined to a body of french troops in an expedition against brittany and to consign into her hands a seaport town of that province for a retreat to the english henry knew the impossibility of executing some of these articles and the imprudence of fulfilling others but finding them rigidly insisted on by elizabeth he accepted of her succours and trusted that he might easily on some pretence be able to excuse his failure in executing his part of the treaty this campaign was the least successful of all those which he had yet carried on against the league during these military operations in france elizabeth employed her naval power against philip and endeavoured to intercept his west indian treasures the source of that greatness which rendered him so formidable to all his neighbours she sent a squadron of seven ships under the command of lord thomas howard for this service but the king of spain informed of her purpose fitted out a great force of fifty-five sail and dispatched them to escort the indian fleet they fell in with the english squadron and by the courageous obstinacy of sir richard greenville the vice-admiral who refused to make his escape by flight they took one vessel the first english ship of war that had yet fallen into the hands of the spaniards the rest of the squadron returned safely into england frustrated of their expectations but pleasing themselves with the idea that their attempt had not been altogether fruitless in hurting the enemy the indian fleet had been so long detained in the havana from the fear of the english that they were obliged at last to set sail in an improper season and most of them perished by shipwreck ere they reached the spanish harbours the earl of cumberland made a like unsuccessful enterprise against the spanish trade 
he carried out one ship of the queen's and seven others equipped at his own expense but the prizes which he made did not compensate the charges the spirit of these expensive and hazardous adventures was very prevalent in england sir walter raleigh who had enjoyed great favour with the queen finding his interest to decline determined to recover her good graces by some important undertaking and as his reputation was high among his countrymen he persuaded great numbers to engage with him as volunteers in an attempt on the west indies the fleet was detained so long in the channel by contrary winds that the season was lost raleigh was recalled by the queen sir martin frobisher succeeded to the command and made a privateering voyage against the spaniards he took one rich carrack near the island of flores and destroyed another about the same time thomas white a londoner took two spanish ships which besides fourteen hundred chests of quicksilver contained above two millions of bulls for indulgences a commodity useless to the english but which had cost the king of spain three hundred thousand florins and would have been sold by him in the indies for five millions this war did great damage to spain but it was attended with considerable expense to england and elizabeth's ministers computed that since the commencement of it she had spent in flanders and france and on her naval expeditions above one million two hundred thousand pounds a charge which notwithstanding her extreme frugality was too burdensome for her narrow revenues to support she summoned therefore a parliament in order to obtain supply but she either thought her authority so established that she needed to make them no concessions in return or she rated her power and prerogative above money for there never was any parliament whom she treated in a more haughty manner whom she made more sensible of their own weaknesses or whose privileges she more openly violated when the speaker sir edward coke made the three usual requests of freedom from arrests of access to her person and of liberty of speech she replied to him by the mouth of puckering lord keeper that liberty of speech was granted to the commons but they must know what liberty they were entitled to not a liberty for every one to speak what he listeth or what cometh into his brain to utter their privilege extended no further than a liberty of i or no that she enjoined the speaker if he perceived any idle heads so negligent of their own safety as to attempt reforming the church or innovating in the commonwealth that he should refuse the bills exhibited for that purpose till they were examined by such as were fitter to consider of these things and could better judge of them that she would not impeach the freedom of their persons but they must beware lest under colour of this privilege they imagined that any neglect of their duty could be covered or protected and that she would not refuse them access to her person 
provided it were upon urgent and weighty causes and at times convenient and when she might have leisure from other important affairs of the realm notwithstanding the menacing and contemptuous air of this speech the intrepid and indefatigable peter wentworth not discouraged by his former ill success ventured to transgress the imperial orders of elizabeth he presented to the lord keeper a petition in which he desired the upper house to join with the lower in a supplication to her majesty for entailing the succession of the crown and he declared that he had a bill ready prepared for that purpose this method of proceeding was sufficiently respectful and cautious but the subject was always extremely disagreeable to the queen and what she had expressly prohibited any one from meddling with she sent wentworth immediately to the tower committed sir thomas bromley who had seconded him to the fleet prison together with stevens and welsh two members to whom sir thomas had communicated his intention about a fortnight after a motion was made in the house to petition the queen for the release of these members but it was answered by all the privy councillors there present that her majesty had committed them for causes best known to herself and that to press her on that head would only tend to the prejudice of the gentlemen whom they meant to serve she would release them whenever she thought proper and would be better pleased to do it of her own proper motion than from their suggestion the house willingly acquiesced in this reasoning so arbitrary an act at the commencement of the session might well repress all further attempts for freedom but the religious zeal of the puritans was not so easily restrained and it inspired a courage which no human motive was able to surmount morris chancellor of the duchy and attorney of the court of wards made a motion for redressing the abuses in the bishop's courts but above all in the high commission where subscriptions he said were exacted to articles at the pleasure of the prelates where oaths were imposed obliging persons to answer all questions without distinction even though they should tend to their own condemnation and where every one who refused entire satisfaction to the commissioners was imprisoned without relief or remedy End of section 33, chapter 43, part 1.